Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 through 54. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer them. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge. So the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone whom they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Jesus Barabbas, or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that innocent man, for today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? All of them said, Let him be crucified. Then he asked, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, His blood be on us and on our children. So he released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there, and Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now. If he wants to, for he said, I am God's son. The bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, 
Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, This man is calling for Elijah. At once one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were all were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. After his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now in the centurion and those with him, who were keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were terrified and said, Truly this man was God's son. So the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It was a very brief matter of time that Jesus' followers went from celebration, jubilant that the king was entering Jerusalem. He was coming to take back his kingdom. He was coming in glory. He was fulfilling the prophecy. I can only imagine that the last thing on their mind was crucifixion. I can imagine that they would think, he will not die. But as we hear, I could in the words of Matthew... He will die on a cross, spat upon, beaten, turned away by his own people, degraded, humiliated, and so quickly, joy turns to sorrow. Now, sometimes we can look and say, how did they not know? Because Jesus said to them time and again that the Son of Man would be handed over. That he would die. His followers were so distracted by what they wanted to have happen, they had trouble accepting what would happen. And you know, we'd like to fault them for this. But if we think about it, how often do we distract ourselves with what we would like to have happen compared to what is going on around us? How often do we want to dictate to God what God needs to be doing instead of letting God dictate to us what needs to happen?
They're so caught up in the celebration. They're so caught up in the moment. They don't remember his words. They don't remember that he said exactly what would happen. Now we might think that there is nothing but despair. The crucifixion is not a joyous picture. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine any of it. But there's something interesting in Matthew. That Jesus says one thing on the cross. The only thing that Matthew records is Eli, Eli, Lema Sabachthani. A cry in Aramaic. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The people around didn't quite understand what he was yelling out. They thought maybe he was calling for Elijah. They thought maybe he was truly in despair. It's easy to read that and think that even Christ had given up. But even in these words, we can find hope. Hope against all hope. Faith against all faith. Because Christ isn't just saying those few words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our ancestors, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. There on that cross, Christ recalls the word of the Psalms. That starts with such despair, but recalls hope and recalls faith. That in the midst of suffering, he doesn't just resign himself to say, all this is just suffering and there is nothing good to come from it. But recalls, God is holy. And there's something to believe in. Even in this darkest of hours, he doesn't lose faith. 
He doesn't lose sight of what's happening. And it's easy to miss that. It's easy to miss it because we are so ready to jump from a triumphant entry into Jerusalem to Christ resurrected. That it's hard to dwell on that painful middle. But we can't have the resurrection without the death. That his life leads to the death and his death leads to the resurrection and his death and his resurrection lead to life for each and every one of us. No matter how much we would want to say that he will not die. He dies for our sake. He dies for our hopes and our dreams. He dies that we may die with him. That instead of our story being as final as any story that we would normally hear, that ends in death, normally that would be the end of the story. Death means there is no more. But we have Christ to that story, and it changes. We had Christ to that story, and no longer is death that final moment, but death is just another stage in life. When we die with Christ, we give up our death to sin and find life everlasting in God's grace and God's love. But we also have to sacrifice of our own. We have to give up the ways of the world, the ways that would force someone else to carry our cross for us. The ways that would cause us to throw somebody else to the wolves. Christ willingly went to the cross, taking up that burden and bearing it himself for things he had not done because he was doing what was right and what was good. We cannot force anyone to go to that cross and to hang up their sins, to let that life die there. That we let greed, anger, hatred die on that cross. That we let grudges, resentment, jealousy, and fear die on that cross. They can only die there if we take up our cross and carry it willingly. That if we are going to live a life resurrected in Christ, we must be willing to put our old life to death on the cross with Christ. Because it's in that death that we find life. It is in suffering that we find hope. Because God's steadfast love endures forever. Even through those dark chapters. Even through those things that we may not fully understand. God is there. Each and every moment. 
And it's when things are at their darkest. And we ourselves want to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we remember the hope behind those words. That we remember the hope behind those actions. That we remember that even in this dark hour, God was still there. Even in this time of despair, God was still there. Even if Christ had to die on the cross for us, God is there. But for us to be able to take up that cross For us to be able to find new life in Christ, we have to accept that the old life must pass away. And so as we move forward, we move forward looking at what we may drop away from what it is we think our life is about. The notions that we have, the things that we think we should do, the things that we do that we know we shouldn't. That we find those moments that cause us to hesitate. Those not moments in our lives. Where we tell ourselves that he will not die. And we accept his word and we accept his truth that he will die. But it's in that death that we find so much more. That we find hope and we find life resurrected. That when we are willing to give up those worldly things that we so often cling to. And we cling To Christ. That through his death and through his resurrection we find life everlasting. Life full. That we are completed. We find that missing thing in our lives and that thing is Christ's love. It is God's mercy and strength that makes us whole. But we have to look at our own lives and see what it is that we must give up if we are going to call eternal life our own. And if we are going to be able to call the flock home. For Christ died on the cross, not just for us, but for all people of all nations, for all the world. That if we are to live a life worthy of repentance, it means that we live a life that shares that gift with all. And that we remember how much has already been given. And how much more we receive when we accept that gift 
that if Christ loved us enough to die for us, how much more Christ must love us to let us live in him. Let us never forget what has been given. Let us always remember that God is there for us to carry us through, to remind us that there is always, always hope. Amen.